You are listening to In the Mouth of Dorkness. This is Jerry Giangelo from Arctic, and you are listening to the best podcast this side of the universe. Although I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is absolutely no one. Yes, I'm afraid it's a solo show. Uh, We tried really hard to get Lisa and Billy on this episode, but we just couldn't make it work with our filmmaker's schedule. Uh, Well, let's let's not put the blame on our filmmaker, Brad. That's not a good idea. Frankly, to be honest, we didn't even try to arrange our filmmaker's schedule with our dork schedule. That would be ridiculous. And if anyone's to blame, it's it's really me. I'm the selfish one. I'm the selfish one. Uh, But we have such a rad guest today. We are joined by Max Winkler, the director of the new film Jungle Land, starring Charlie Hunnam, Jack O'Connell, and Jessica Barden. Uh, This film just had its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. And yes, you know what that means. We're talking to the filmmaker in that same Canadian basement as last week, and it is a little staticky. But you're an It Mod listener. You're a constant listener. You're like one of those Stephen King constant readers, but the podcast equivalent and an It Mod fan. And we really appreciate that about you. And as such, you know that... It's a challenge. It's a challenge to get really good audio quality sometimes, guys. And you don't blame me. I know that. And you're really just more interested in the content of the interview. And guess what? It's a really rad one. Jungle Land spoke to me big time. And maybe that's because I'm a wannabe bare-knuckle boxer. uh, And my older brother is... Uh, he's getting in the way and ruining things for me. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's why it connected with me. Or it could be that the film has a gnarly 70s vibe and you could easily imagine somebody like Gene Hackman or Dustin Hoffman in the roles of Charlie Hunnan and Jack O'Connell. And if that doesn't get you pumped, nothing will. Uh, we actually begin our conversation with its 70s aesthetic, its 70s tone, its vibe. And from there, we jump into Stranger Waters. I really would have loved to have had Brian Young, the turtle dork, on this episode. Because guess what, guys? We talk about his favorite Arthurian legend on this podcast. I was so blown away when this film comes up, but I don't want to spoil it for you. So let's just get into the chat. Uh, Max Winkler, why don't you take it away? Hey, buddy, Max Winkler. Hey, Max, how are you? Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. I'm a big fan of your website. Oh, happy to hear that. Yay. Uh, so while I was watching Jungle Land, I got a, a, a heavy vibe of... 70s macho movies or, or 70s crime films. Is is this a, a headspace that you are in with this film? I, I, my favorite movies of all time are sort of the American movies of the 70s, you know, that then sort of percolate into the 80s. Like, you know, I, I don't, I, I, you know, movies of how actually 
Um, you know, there's also a play by Lyle Kessler called Orphans that was a really big influence to me. Um, you know, and, and taking those, taking the spirit of those movies, the sort of rebel nature of those movies, of these, these men working through their own, you know, masculinity um, to come to their, you know, their true vulnerability and sensitive sort of total fear and, and, and terror about, you know, where they fit in. Sure, sure. So, you know, it's interesting, though, like, in exploring masculinity in the 70s, that's one thing. And then exploring it in, you know, the the, the mid to late aughts 2019 is a totally different thing. Uh, and, and and it's a challenge, uh, I think, for audiences to encounter characters like the two brothers in Jungle Land. No, I, I, I don't think, you know, the, the fear of vulnerability that really telling each other how they feel about the other. Um, meaningful and uh, emotional and also completely stunted and completely um, afraid and, and full of terror about who they are and what, what they what each what each's identity is um, apart from the other and um, you know they're so enmeshed the siblings are so deeply enmeshed and um, to me it's it's more of a, uh, a movie about vulnerability than it is about masculinity. Mm, mm. But a lot of times, I mean, you know, in five easy pieces, you, you find out everything you need to know when you see Nicholson playing the piano or you see Nicholson um, talking with father out there on the lawn. You know, in the last detail, you see them at the picnic table, sort of they're talking about wearing gorgeous sweaters and fixing television, um, fixing television somewhere in California. But like they just they just can't their rebel spirit just can't sort of live in that lifeline. And started just thinking about what would their life look like without the other one. And what do you do in the world? What do you do in America when you think that you're in like the American dream, but you don't have any talent? Mm, yeah. Gil is don't have a trade. Stanley doesn't have a trade. Sky doesn't have a trade. Lion, the only one who does have the gift, doesn't really want it. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when you uh, frame it with that context because you, you think about the jobs that are in this country right now for individuals uh, like these two, and and they are dwindling. So, what do we what do we do with uh, our, our our people, our, our brothers, our our family members when there's not uh, an obvious trade for them to pick up? Yeah, and uh, character, he's too thank he, It's the last he's telling he won't he doesn't. He to work in injury. Mm. And that was a working that was a working selling factory, you know what I mean? We shot on location Fall River Met Todd in Massachusetts, New Bedford, Massachusetts. The people are amazing and that city is being you know, there it's on an uptick. You know, a lot of jobs, a lot of those mills are empty now and some amazing people are bringing the economy back into it. But, you know, it's it always lived outside of its means and always lived out um, based on the planet, you know, most people would think he's just sort of like a Razzo Rizzo street urchin, you know what I mean? And, and he tries himself as a parent, and like a single mother than a, um, than an older brother. Right. I mean, his, his impact on, on Lion more maternal of, uh, you know, sending, getting your kid ready and sending him off to college and knowing your job is done, which you sort of have that moment on the family's face at the very end of the movie. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my understanding is that the film, you know, the, the screenplay took a long time to gestate that you, you and your co-writers were working on it for a, a decade. Is that correct? Well, you know, there were versions of the script that had been written that weren't as good, and it went through many different producers and iterations, and it wasn't until I cast Charlie that it all sort of really crystallized and where I could see the humanity of this guy Mm -hmm. and these two brothers, and and Jack came shortly after. And, you know, movies like this don't really get made nothing while this movie got made. And um, um, I feel really lucky that we got to have that experience. I I, um, feel... Um, grateful and um, it came together in the way it was supposed to come together you know, just, you know those, in those 10 years there were multiple people saying it's impossible you can't make this movie anymore what if there was a supernatural element to oh, it God. what if uh, you know like crazy crazy stuff which I understand it just makes it easier but um, you know I made another movie in between I, I did a lot of other stuff in between but um, yeah well, speak to that idea of casting Charlie Hunnam and Jack O'Connell in the roles and, and how that humanized or uh, specified the, the film for you. I mean, they're just both beautiful, wonderful, humanistic act, humanist actors. And, and same with Jeff Barton, same with Jonathan Majors. Like, they're all brilliant actors. Like, you know, my job is just to cast and then, you know, everything I do on set is to facilitate the best acting I can possibly try to facilitate, which is just giving these brilliant people freedom to do it, to follow their instincts and to help them help them on the way and give suggestions, but to really let them fly. Um, that's the hardest part of the job is casting and casting correctly mm. um, and not for foreign sales. Mm. Um, so you can really get the people that are there to, to breathe life into these, these people who are, you know, just on the page. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think when I when I look at uh, those two, and I, I think about those actors of the '70s, you know, from you know Jack Nicholson to Gene Hackman and, and, and those guys, uh, you, you, when you have a character who's a little rough around the edges, that casting goes a long way in selling. Maybe not necessarily the likability of the character, but the the interest of the character, your 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 connection to the character. Yeah, I have no interest. The term likability means nothing to me. Uh I find it to be like a cliche that people say in executive rooms. And (laughs) I don't care if someone's likable or not. I care if they're real or not. I care if they're playable or not. I care if they feel like human beings or not. Like, you know, it's a joke. You know, like, to me, it's... um, to try, to try and chase that down when you're making a movie about these guys and, and put a scene in the movie where Charlie saves the cat to start the day feels um, <laughs> uh, morally uh, irresponsible, I think. Um, because I find these characters likable. Likeability is a is an opinion. It's, um, it's not my job to decide whether they're likable or not. It's my job to work to the best of my ability to create these characters so they feel like real characters with a real life before them, before the film starts and after the film ends. And um, I feel, um, I feel um, like the term likable gets thrown around a lot. And I don't know if I've ever liked a movie with a character that is uh, quote-unquote likable. I think casting someone like Charlie Hunnam makes your life easier because people just love him. And people love his face, and he has a humanity and a tense heartbeat of this movie, and the heartbeat of a lot of movies. I actually cast Charlie because I, I was a fan of his for a long time. I loved 
Story, which I think is like kind of a brilliant movie. But yeah. I, I loved him in um, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. And I've seen that movie, like there was a period of time where I wasn't sleeping. I was like really kind of um, nocturnal. It was a terrible, terrible experience. I don't know if you've ever had that issue, but I couldn't sleep for a while. And so I would stay up and I would watch King Arthur every single night. And I was really mesmerized by it. I was mesmerized by the sort of hero's journey. And I was mesmerized by um, the final showdown between um, Char- uh, King Arthur and his uncle. And where he basically says to his uncle, you know, like, you put me in that brothel. You you made and you created me. Like, you, all, I walked through the fear and now I'm here. And I just thought it was really incredible. And I wasn't, I, I, I thought his performance in that was so deeply underrated and good mm. and powerful. Um, that I felt like if you could sort of do Charlie Hunnam as Ratso Rizzo, you could do something, you know, such a beautiful spirit. I think you could get something pretty interesting. Man, I'm so glad you shouted some love to King Arthur because I've got a buddy who's obsessed with that movie. And so often when you bring it up, I think people just really misunderstood that film when it came out. It's a great flick. Me too. And it was just people bullied it for because that was the narrative. But like, if you rewatch it, it's genuinely a good movie. And Charlie's brilliant in it. It's really well cast. It's um, every supporting part is good. Like, and the mess of it of walking through your fear and that sometimes when you think it's your greatest enemy is actually and your greatest fear actually makes you who you're supposed to be like I was so emotionally involved and I was taking videos on my cell phone and sending it to my therapist <laughs> my therapist was like and and people thought I was crazy because and then they watched and they were like oh my god King Art. I, I literally wrote my friends are um, not a name drop it's just part of a story that I think will probably be interesting to somebody out there sure but I, I wrote um, I, I, I'm lucky enough to know Andy Samberg and Akiva Schaefer and Norman Zaccone, the Lonely Island guys. And I was so emotionally moved by King Arthur that I wrote um, I wrote those guys. I was like, dude, you guys need to write a support group song, a song for people in the world that love King Arthur and really have gotten on a fair shake. They were really into it, but it never came of help. And I was like, there's so many of us that just want to like you know, figure out what, like, your Dear Evan Hansen song about people who love King Arthur is writing. <laughs> so good. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I'm going to let you go here in a second, but I just don't want to leave without talking about uh, the cinematography of the film. Uh, Damien Garcia obviously has a lot of experience shooting crime stories uh, cinematically and on television. And uh, What was your conversation with him about setting the visual aesthetic of Jungle Land together? Obviously 70s uh, cinema, but beyond that. We, we actually, we didn't watch, I, 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 we, we, we wrote to 70s movies, and I, and I, 70s movies were in my soul as a writer and director. For cinematography, we really watched, um, we watched Steve McQueen's movie, um, Hunger, mm. and we watched some older kind of French movies, and we watched The Deer Hunter a lot, and that was, that was I guess The Deer Hunter is, is in a different vein of it, but those were the movies that we, we watched, and we loved the elegance. Um, you know, I never wanted it to feel like three handheld. These guys are living in poverty and it sucks and this is what it looks like. I wanted, like, I wanted the cinematography to reflect our character's point of view, which was that they're fine with where they are and they're on their way out. And sort of the grand expanse of, like, roadside America and all of it, like, wonderment of, like, we're going west and, like, what that felt like. Um, we used as little, as few lights as possible and we tried to move the camera as little as possible and, and I was so obsessed with, um, we were both obsessed with all of the, um, the panning in the deer hunt. 
there mm. and, and then the actual sort of lighting. So we, I mean, a lot of that stuff, like that opening credit sequence, there's no light. That's all natural lighting. It's the Damian and these movies in, in Mexico. He's kind of like a, a superstar there. Um, he made this movie called Guerreros, and he made this video, and he's just a, he's a brilliant, brilliant, uncompromising visual mind. But also, we only, we, the only thing we did was the story, that was it. We tried to serve our characters, we tried to, you know, kind of frame Jack in sort of a very innocent, beautiful, kind of almost like Christ-like um, um, close-ups and imagery, and um, we really, Passion of Joan of Arc was something we were watching a lot of. Mm. Um, but you know, we just we we really like shooting on location in that part of the world. You can point your camera anywhere, and our only job was to 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 remind the production designer that he doesn't need to do anything. Like the location, the captain guy Alex Barrard, I have to say his name because I think he's a genius. That is these places, these old men's clubs, these old abandoned houses, like. An old, we basically turned an old Greyhound racing track into uh, our Pinewood Studios. We made it like our sound stages. Like hmm. we shot like ten pages of five different cities in different locations in an old abandoned Greyhound station. And um, I just think um, I just think it was it, it made it easy on on Damian and I. We just lit it as little as possible. We tried our best to choose the right lens to convey. Um, the emotion of what we were trying to tell and, and to give the actors as much space to move around the set as possible so they didn't feel like they had to hit these specific marks and just really kind of lit the room rather than the actors. Well, Max, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Like I said, I really enjoyed the movie and, and I, I love the the, the, the headspace of the film and uh, I look forward to you, to your next movie. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, take care. Man, there you go. How cool was that conversation? Sure, the audio was a little rough in the beginning, but by the midway point when he's talking about why he cast Charlie Hunnam and the humanity that he brings to the role and he starts celebrating movies like The Lost City of Z, uh, or as my mom would say, The Lost City of Zed, and then he goes into the celebration of King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, that was so rad. And I know Brian Young, the turtle dork, is listening to this episode. And I know he picked up on the fact that I said that King Arthur was a great movie. And he has exposed me as a total poser. Because any listener who has gone over to our regular In the Mouth of Dorkness channel knows that our review cast of that episode was savage. And Brian was the only one defending the movie. And I, along with Lisa and Darren, really tore King Arthur apart. But... Guess what? Brian, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to rewatch that film. I'm going to take Max Winkler's advice. I'm going to look at that film with new eyes and discover this great film that he and Brian and the Lonely Island Boys know is a masterpiece. Yes, it is time to revisit King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Uh, but, you know, like I love all that other conversation around the last detail and five easy pieces. And when you watch Jungle Land, you will see a film that stands next to those classic 70s Nicholson performances. Uh, it is really special little movie, and I'm really looking forward for the rest of you finding it and discussing it with us. Of course, you got to do that on Twitter. You got to find us at ItModcast. You got to follow Brian Young 
at the Turtle Dork. Let him know how much you love King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Follow Billy Das at WB Das. Follow Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren. Follow Darren Smith at the Disco Dork. And of course, you can find me on all social medias at Mouth Dork. And you dorks are going to want to stay tuned because Fantastic Fest is already a week in our past. And I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that Lisa and I have already sat down with these filmmakers. And I'm going to announce right here that on this very channel, we're going to have chat casts with Takashi Miike, director of First Love, Blade the Immortal, Audition, 13 Assassins. We're talking to Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, the directors of Synchronic, The Endless, Spring, Resolution. We're talking to Jeff Begos, William Sadler, Stephen Lang, and Martin Cove for VFW. We're talking to Richard Stanley, the director of The Color Out of Space, starring Nicolas Cage, as well as Dust Devil and Hardware. And we've got a bunch more lined up as well. Uh, we're going to have chat casts going for the rest of the year. Not to mention all the cool chats that Billy Das and Darren Smith had at the Lost Weekend Film Festival in Alamo Drafthouse, Winchester. And yeah, we're, we're swimming in conversations right now. And I am so excited. InTheMouthOfDarkness.com has launched. Yeah, it's a little light, but don't worry. It's a work in progress. I'm just happy that we have a home for all these wonderful podcasts and we can bring reviews from Fantastic Fest and Lost Weekend to that page as well. So go ahead and find InTheMouthOfDarkness.com. Favorite it. Bookmark it. Do whatever you do with web pages. Uh, print it out. Put it in a book. Give it to my parents. They'd really appreciate it. And there you go, guys. That is going to do it. Hopefully you won't have a solo In the Mouth of Darkness chat cast episode for a long time. We've got Lisa and Billy and Darren and Brian all bringing really rad chats to the table. And I am so excited for our future. Guys, thank you so much. And until next time, take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? Boop, boop, boop. I got to tell you, those are hard to do by yourself. Intros, outros, just Brad, not my favorite. Uh, come back, Billy. Come back, Lisa.